1: I'm excited we're going to continue in our series. If you didn't know this, if you're visiting our church, we do a study of the Bible every single, uh, every single summer. So we pick a book from the Bible, and this year's book is Galatians, and Pastor Pretty been kicked off our series in Galatians 1 with two messages already, and today we're turning the chapter to chapter 2, and I am going to preach a message today just on the first 10 verses of Galatians 2. So are you ready for this? I actually want to tell you real quick like what all happened so far that we know we know that Paul is someone who used to be named Saul and he was someone who actually murdered Christians he was a violent person he oversaw the killing of Christians in his life. And then he miraculously had this encounter with the Holy Spirit of God on the road to Damascus. Anybody heard this story before? And he surrendered his life to Jesus. And he committed for the rest of his life to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul's revelation that he stuck to over and over again that we're going to see in this book of the Bible is that his revelation that we are saved by grace by, through Jesus Christ alone. Amen? By faith we believe that it is by grace that we are saved. And people just continued to try to add to the gospel or change the gospel or change that a little bit. And he's like, no, listen, it is by faith, by grace, through Jesus Christ that we have salvation in Jesus. And so every time they tried to change it, he kept changing it back and kept um, kept asking them to stop adding to this gospel this beautiful truth of Jesus Christ. Well, so it began making me ask myself this question. We're going to put this question on the screen. Am I someone who's adjusting myself to the gospel or am I asking the gospel to adjust to me? Isn't that an interesting question? There's this show on Netflix called Jewish Matchmaker. Has anybody watched this show before? My husband and I watched it and uh, we really enjoyed it. And there's this matchmaker, she's Jewish, and she helps other Jewish people find their spouses. She helps them find their match. And she asks them lots of questions. Who are you? What kind of person are you looking for? What kind of traits are important to you? All this stuff. And one of the questions that she asks them is, basically she looks at them and she says, are you Orthodox? And basically she's saying, how Jewish are your practices? Because she's trying to find somebody that kind of matches that person's tradition, right? And how serious they are about their traditions. Well, it's just so funny because a lot of these people will say things like, oh, I am very Orthodox. I'm so Orthodox, but I eat pork. And if you don't know, if you are Jewish and you're saying that you follow Jewish tradition, you wouldn't eat pork. And so then the, the, the camera kind of scopes out and just does her. And she goes, you know, when I talk to people who say they're very orthodox, but they, and that's a word I'm going to teach you about in just a minute. I'm very orthodox, but I eat pork. She says, I don't call that orthodoxy. I call that flexodoxy right? Because some people look at scripture in all different kinds of ways and they apply different things or they interpret different ways or change the gospel depending on what they want to do or how they want to live. And that's really what we're going to be talking about today. And I think it's very interesting that Paul actually spends a lot of his time sharing and teaching and reteaching and reteaching the gospel of salvation to Christian Gentiles. These were people who were actually believers. They weren't the skeptics and the critics. They were people who already professed that they loved Jesus. But he continues to write letters to the churches like the one that we're studying this summer. So why does he do that? Why does Paul spend so much time focusing on sharing and reteaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to uh, Gentile believers? Well, let's read in Galatians 2.2 says this. Then 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas, and Titus came along too. I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. While I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders of the church and shared with them the message I had been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement for fear that all my efforts had been wasted and I was running the race for nothing. And they supported me and did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, though he was a Gentile. The reason that Paul continued to share the gospel with believers is because they kept changing it. You've heard us say this. They kept adding to the gospel or changing the message of the gospel. So what does he do? He goes and meets privately with these church leaders. And he says, are we all on the same page? Are we all sharing the true gospel of Jesus Christ that we are saved by grace? And guess what? They were. They were on the same page. They said, Paul, we we agree with you. This is the message of salvation that we want to be telling people. Now let's read on in verse four. Even that question came up only because of some so-called believers. There, the question of is 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 the gospel being changed? Is it being corrupted? Okay. These false people were secretly brought into the meeting. They sneaked in to spy on us and take away the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulations, but we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. So these false believers that were also in this meeting, they were basically doing, I mean, Paul accused them of doing something pretty huge. He said, you are taking away from freedom in Christ Jesus. This is what they were doing. And there's actually a name for these people who were trying to corrupt and change the gospel in this way. And these people were called Judaizers. Everybody say Judaizer. Okay, we're going to come back to that word in just a minute. But I want to read this to you. In the early Christian church, listen to this, there were debates about whether Gentile converts to Christianity needed to follow Jewish customs, like keeping the Sabbath and following dietary laws. Those who believed in continuing Jewish practices became known as Judaizers. There's that word again. The term is not generally used in a positive sense, and it is often associated with legalism and the rejection of Christ's message of salvation through faith alone. Paul says salvation comes through faith alone by grace in Jesus Christ. The Judaizers Judaizers kept saying, no, you have to follow different Old Testament laws. You have to do good works. You have to do these different traditions in order to be saved. That's not the gospel that Paul was preaching and that he kept coming back to. So I want to finish verses six through 10. He says this. The leaders of the church had nothing to add to what I was preaching. By the way, their reputation as great leaders made no difference to me, for God has no favorites. Instead, they saw that God had given me the responsibility of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as he had given Peter the responsibility of preaching to the Gentiles. For the same God who worked through Peter as the apostle to the Jews also worked through me as the apostle to the Gentiles. In fact, James, Peter, and John, who were known as pillars of the church, recognized the gift God had given me, and they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. They encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles while they continued their work with the Jews. Their only suggestion was that we keep on helping the poor, which I have always been eager to do. So we see this constant pulling of what Paul is doing. He meets with this council. They're on the same page, that there are also people who are Christians who are like, nope, you have to be circumcised. Nope, you have to do these things. And Paul just over and over and over again is telling these Christian believers. Listen, don't change. Turn on. Paul said, turn on the mic. Hey, we'll go this way. Look at that. Okay. Happy Father's Day, honey. Thanks for the mic. Thanks for the mic. Okay. So, uh, where was I? People kept changing the gospel and kept trying to corrupt it. And obviously, I said, Paul was going back to them. And it was like over and over and over again, Paul was realizing there is a need to keep reminding people to stop taking away freedom in Christ by corrupting this gospel. It's kind of like when I take my car to the shop over and over again. You know, the very first car that Pastor Preeti and I bought together after we were married was the Honda Element that we still drive today. And we thought we were so cool when we bought this Honda Element, all right? And we lived in rural Michigan at the time in the country roads. And I'll never forget a week before we moved to Seattle, the devil in hell tried to stop us (laughs) because I was driving in the country and I hit a deer. And this deer just ran out in front of us. Thankfully, everybody was okay. The whole family was in the car, but thankfully we were okay. But it, it it ruined and broke the front bumper of our Honda Element. You probably have seen this before. But what was so embarrassing is that we roll into Bougie Bellevue in 2017, a week after I hit this deer, and there are deer hair stuck in the bumper. And I'm like, oh my gosh, no one's gonna come to our church. They're just gonna think we're like, you know, hit from the country. I don't even know what people are going to think, you know? I'm just so embarrassed of that. And so anyway, we just keep having to take our car back in to get fixed. It runs okay for a while. Everything's fine. We're just trucking along. We're elementing along. And then all of a sudden something starts breaking and we have to take it in to get it fixed. It gets fixed. We're so excited. We spent some money on it. And then you know how this is sometimes, like some of us have possessed cars. I don't even know. So then we keep driving it and then it starts breaking. Another part of it starts breaking. We take Get back in, get it fixed. And this happens over and over and over again. And this is kind of how I think Paul must have felt. It's like, you guys, you believe that salvation is by grace and grace alone, but then you start corrupting it just a little bit and start believing some really weird things. I got to come back and I got to fix your theology again, right? It's like he just has to keep doing this and keep reminding people, make the don't change the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think we have this tendency to want to change the gospel. Why do we do this? Well, I think sometimes we like to justify our actions. Well, the Bible doesn't say to do this so I can go and do this, right? Anybody been there? Or the Bible says this so I can do this. We just kind of justify different parts of what we do. We justify uh, our we, we justify our political views, what we think is the Bible based on political views. Have you ever heard someone say, how could you vote this way? The Bible clearly says this about this cultural issue, right? And we begin to add to the gospel. We begin to make it what we want. We begin to endorse our beliefs through scripture right? And there's just different ways that we try to change the gospel. Now, I don't know if you've been following along to this, but there's just been this really interesting controversy that has happened in the Southern Baptist Church recently. And in the Southern Baptist Church uh, re- uh, convention, the denomination, okay, I'm not knocking the denomination, but the denomination has been split on this issue of women in ministry. A couple of months ago, a couple of the churches, the Southern Baptist churches, uh, decided to ordain um, some women to be pastors in the church. Well, the den- Denomination as a whole kicked those churches out said, hey, we don't believe that the scriptures say this. And so this last week, there was this big vote that was uh, basically saying, hey, are we going to accept these churches because they ordained these women as pastors? Or are we going to say, no, they that's not what we believe. And we're just going to keep saying that that is who we are. We're not doing this. Well, sure enough, the vote went against these churches. So these churches are not no longer a part. If they want to keep women as pastors, they are no longer a part of the denomination. Now, isn't that wild? Now, we here at Kalos Church, as we look at the scriptures, as we look at the whole narratives, as we see God bringing dignity to women, we believe and we've interpreted the scriptures and we've talked to the Holy Spirit and we've worked through many different, many different theology on this. We clearly believe and have a theology around this where we believe that women can be pastors and leaders, right? I mean, if not, we're in trouble. I am a woman preaching on Father's Day, okay? And so there's just different things, like, and both sides are saying, hey, you're making up stuff that the scripture says to get what you want, right? And so there's this, this thing that's going on all throughout church history, even now, where we're just trying to figure out how do we make sure that we don't corrupt the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul fights to protect it. And I'm so glad that he fights to protect it. And he fights in three specific ways that I'm going to talk about today. The first one is that he actually fights for orthodoxy. I'm going to talk to you about what Christian orthodoxy is today. Number two, he fights to make sure that we all would pinpoint and Recognize the Judaizer that lives within us. We all have that. We all have to confront that. And then thirdly, he fights for unity in the church. He fights for unity, and I'm so glad he does. So Paul goes to this private meeting to the church leaders, and he says, hey, are we all on the same page? And Paul does something really interesting. I think Paul's really brilliant, by the way. He actually takes his buddy Titus with him. Do you remember that in the scripture? He takes Titus. Titus is a Gentile believer of Jesus Christ who has not been circumcised. So Paul takes Titus to this meeting, and he's like, hey, are we on the same page? We're saying you don't have to be circumcised to be a Christian. And they're like, yeah, you know, and it actually says in verse three, and they supported me and did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, though he was a Gentile, all right? They passed his little test. He brought a Gentile. Can you imagine what it was like to be Titus? Hey, Titus, I want you to come to this meeting with me. You may or may not leave being circumcised. Just prepare your wife, (laughs) You know, like, what did he say to this guy? Like, can you imagine Titus is like, I'm sorry, what? Like, do I have to go to this meeting, you know? And so sure enough, he takes him and, and the council is like, yeah, I mean, salvation is by grace and grace alone. It's not about what you do. It's not about what you don't do. It's about grace. And we see that this council of Jerusalem continues to meet even for years later. In Acts 15, we see that the council meets again and Paul and this time Barnabas go to together and the constant conversation is about the gentile converts and their relationship with old testament traditions That's what the constant conversation is about this. And so we have to be careful that as Christians, as Christian leaders, we are not trying to change the story of the gospel. I remember a few months ago, I decided to uh, watch the movie Snow White with my daughter. She had never seen it before. She's four years old. She said, mom, can we watch Snow White? And I said, sure. Well, I forgot what happens in Snow White, okay? So like I had not taught my daughter about death. You know, I had not taught my daughter about poisonous apples. I would not taught her about dwarves you know like all of a sudden I'm really we're, we're like in it and all of a sudden we're in the middle of it and I'm just like thinking like oh no like how do I might I, I have to teach her about all this so we're watching it, and sure enough, this like witch lady gives this gives Snow White uh, a poisonous apple. Right? What happens? She eats it and she dies. Well, the next uh, the next picture on the screen is is Snow White laying on this bed, just like really like beautiful, but she's dead, and the dwarves are laying all are sitting all around her. And uh, my daughter looks at me and she said, "Mom, what happened to Snow White?" And I panicked. <laughs> I panicked and I noticed that the dwarves that were around Snow White's bed, they looked like they were kneeling and they were bowing their heads. And so I said, you know what? Snow White is sick and the dwarves are praying that she gets better. Let's pray that she gets better, right? you know, I mean, I changed the story. I like, just completely didn't care about the integrity of the story. But I changed it to protect my daughter. I don't want her to be scared to eat apples, okay? Like apples are good for you, Nala. You can eat them. A lot of other reasons why I did that. But I changed the integrity. I mean, someday I just imagine Nala's going to be with her friends. And they'll be watching Snow White. My mom, My mom said that Snow White is sick. And they prayed for her. And now she's better. You know, like her kids are going to be like, what is wrong with your family? You know, and so it's like we change the story, you know, and it, and it compromises the integrity of the gospel. If we're not careful, if we aren't paying attention to this, it's important as believers that we are committed to Christian orthodoxy. Everybody say orthodoxy. Has anyone ever heard of this word before? Maybe you've heard it. You're not quite sure what it means. I want to teach it to you today because this is actually a big sort of foundational piece of Christianity that's important. It's important that you attend a church that's committed to Christian orthodoxy. Orthodoxy, listen to this, is an establishment of beliefs, doctrines, or principles in matters of religion. Now, Kalos Church is a Greek word for beautiful. We like Greek words around here. So I'm going to break this down for you. Ortho, in the word orthodoxy, in Greek actually means straight or correct. Okay? Doxa, in Greek, means beliefs or opinions. So that's where we get the word orthodoxy. Do you you follow? I'm going to read you a definition. One theologian describes orthodoxy this way. The word means correct opinion and relates specifically to the tried and true interpretations of the Bible's major theme, its overarching story, and its foundational truths. These are the fundamental beliefs of the Christian faith that never change and never should. God's people have always held that we cannot approach God's revelation and even our own novel interpretation of his words. Rather, our views must correspond to traditional orthodoxy as handed down from the apostles and prophets. Listen, Church, as Christians, our commitment and our mission in terms of understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ is that we are aligning ourselves with the gospel. We're not asking the gospel to align to us, right? And we have to be very careful of this. We're committing ourselves and our hearts to making the adjustments to live according to his ways and not asking God to adjust to us. Right? This is what it means to stay true to our orthodoxy. When I'm up here preaching, when Pastor Prettypen is up here preaching, we're not just making stuff up. We don't just have this agenda and we want you to think a certain way. And so we back it up with scripture. No, we, like with fear and trembling, study the scriptures. We want to stay true to what Paul and the, and the other apostles and the prophets were saying about the gospel of Jesus Christ. At the end of the day, I know that you are getting all kinds of people on social media and we are ever to tell you what to think about certain things. And I want to tell you, my job is to just point you to Jesus. I don't even want to tell you what I think all the time. And you can ask me, I don't care. But I am just telling you, I want to point you to Jesus. I want everything about your opinions, your thoughts, your behavior, how you treat other people. I want it to be informed by the gospel. I don't want it to be informed by other people and other things in the world and people who don't respect the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray, my prayer, our prayer for you is that everything about you would be informed by Jesus Christ. And my job is to point you toward Jesus. We're making the adjustments. We're not asking the gospel to adjust to us like that question that I posed at the very beginning of the message, right? Fighting for Christian orthodoxy is so important. I mean, listen, there have been church leaders who have in our history interpreted scripture in a way to make sure that really bad things happen to people right? There are people, there are Christian leaders who have interpreted scripture to endorse slavery, to endorse the massacre of Native American communities in our country. There are people who thought that the scriptures were behind this. And I'm so glad for guys like William Wilberforce and Charles Finney who said, no, that is not what the gospel is saying. This is not what biblical principles mean. This is not how we interpret. This is not how we treat people right? I'm so glad that there are people who have stayed committed to Christian orthodoxy and have not tried to change the gospel. Amen. We see the tragicness of what it can do. I mean, there have been people who have asked Pastor Pradeep and I've been so angry. I've left our church who said, who just said, listen, you should be preaching this about the Bible. You should be saying this about the Bible. You should be saying, and I just want to say, listen, if you got a CNN theology or a Fox News theology or a social media theology, we aren't going to preach it up here because we are committed to orthodoxy. We're committed to understanding the scripture in three ways. This, there's three kind of ways that this relationship works. And one way we make sure that we are considering the entire biblical narrative when we're talking about certain things and certain biblical uh, situations. We keep the early and historical Historical church in mind, okay? There is a church that existed years and centuries ago that has preserved the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we make that a part of our Christian orthodoxy. And we always leave room for the revelation of the Holy Spirit, right? So we wanna make sure in this relationship, making sure that we're staying in, in accurate doctrine and theology, that we look at the whole biblical narrative, that we consider the historical church and that we leave room for the Holy Spirit. That's how we know that we're staying committed to that. Now, if you've ever been to one of our welcome dinners here at Kalos Church, one of the biggest questions that we get here at Kalos is, what is your theology as a church? If you walk into a new church and that's a question that you're asking, that's a great question. You should want to know what the church believes that you go to, right? And so we actually help people understand what our theology is. And at the end of the day, one one of the things that we bring up is that we really believe in the Apostles' Creed. If we can take kind of the foundational things that we believe about the Bible, it's actually... Already in the Apostles' Creed. I actually have this and I want us to read it today because I want you to understand some biblical theology and doctrine that we really have stuck to and will stick to as Kalos Church. So this is an anthem, right? This this is what we believe. I'd love for all of us to say this together. Can we do that? Let's do it. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who is Received by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the father almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the global church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Amen. Amen. This is what we believe. Let's not change this story. Amen. This is a beautiful, beautiful gospel. So we see how important it is to be committed to Christian orthodoxy. The second thing that I believe that Paul does is he basically looks at us and he encourages us and he said, listen, you need to identify the Judaizer inside of you. Because these were believers, remember? They believed in Jesus. So those of us, at times in our life where we're trying to change the gospel, we're trying to corrupt it, we have a little Judaizer in us that we need to pay attention to. And I think that it's someone who tries to change the gospel. Most of us believe fundamentally that we are saved by grace, but functionally, we have a tendency to operate with a works-based mentality. You know what Paul says about people who believe this and operate like this in this theology? He says, you are taking away from the freedom that we have in Christ. I don't want, because of my performance issues and my perfectionist issues and my issues with needing to earn my way to salvation or whatever, I don't wanna take away the freedom that we have in Christ, right? And many of us operate in this way where we struggle with this works-based mentality. The more I do for God, the more he will do for me. At the end of the day, in essence, we're saying, what began with Jesus ends with Moses. That's the opposite. The opposite is true, right? When we think of our morality or our self-righteousness is is depending on what that is, that's how we get the free gift of salvation. That is just not true. But we are people who struggle to believe that it's all based on the good things that we do or the bad things that we do. I mean, have you ever gone through a hard time and you're like, you know what? I am a morally good person. I don't murder. I don't steal. I don't. I don't lie to people. Why is this happening to me? God, you owe me you ever said that before? God, you owe me. I mean, sometimes we think that, you know, like I serve on Sundays, I go to small group, I read my Bible, I pray, you know, I do all these things and just stuff keeps happening in my life. God, you owe me. You owe me. I have done so much for you, God. How is this happening in my life? I mean, have you ever thought this? Here's another one I think that we think we don't like to admit. Why does it seem like the person who does nothing for God have better luck than I do? God, you owe me. We don't mean to think that, but I think we think that sometimes and we become transactional in our understanding with God. Here's another way to say it. We think that we can control God by what we do or what we don't do and that's just not True. That's not staying true to the gospel. Paul says, "Stop trying to take away from the freedom in Christ. This is a free gift for you." I mean, have you ever wondered how weird it is that people who have known Jesus and the gospel forever will walk away from Christianity, but there are people who've never known God and they will run to Jesus? Have you ever wondered, like, how does that really happen? As I began to think about this some more, I realized that at the end of the day, the Judaizer inside of us makes us entitled. We become people who just become so proud of our righteous works. And you know what happens when you become proud of your righteous works? Then you say this. You say things like, you start believing things like, you know what? I don't have a sin issue. And if I don't have a sin issue in my life, then I don't need a savior. Right? Then I don't need a savior. Jesus talks about when you put a little bit of uh, when you put a little bit of um, yeast in unleavened bread, what happens? Put a little bit of yeast, that bread will rise and it'll puff up. That's what we're doing we puff ourselves up. No longer do we need, uh, we become entitled. No longer do we need a savior. And the other says, the people who have not known Jesus, maybe, and they're running, they say, I've done nothing for God. I'm so desperate for a free gift of salvation. My heart is broken. I am a mess. I am just, you know, and they run to Jesus. And what does Jesus do? What does the gospel say? What is the anthem of our creed? What it says is this is a free gift by grace. The grace of God saves you. You don't have to, to do anything. You can surrender your life to him and it is, it is there for you. Sin isn't just our actions. It's the motivation of our hearts. It's the motivation of our hearts. You may be unintentionally living in a way that says, if I do these things, then I will experience the grace of God and the love of God on my life. And I just want to tell you, it is not based upon your works. Now, here's a practical question you can ask yourself. How do I identify the Judaizer inside of me? How do I confront that part of me? Well, here's a question you can ask yourself. Am I using God to get things, or am I using things to love God? Do I come to church because I just wanna get on God's good graces, or do I come to church because I love Jesus? Do I tithe because I'm just hoping that maybe somehow God will make me rich, you know, in some weird prosperity mentality, right? No you come to church and tithe because you, you you give your money to the Lord because you love him, right? That's really the heart of what we want to be. Tim Keller says this, God relentlessly offers his grace to people who do not deserve it or need it or even appreciate it after they have been saved by it. I want to tell you this morning to remember the free gift of grace. You know, I grew up in a church that Really, for the most part, believed in the Apostles' Creed, believed in, um, believe the Apostles' Creed, believed in good, just kind of foundational theology and doctrine, but there was some weird stuff that crept in over time as I was growing up in church. And maybe this has happened to you. And I didn't realize until about six years ago how badly that bad theology had crept into my life and how much I had to confront it. So as I was growing up, I went to church and I started, I believed a lot of good foundational truths. But some of the weird things that I started believing because of this is what I heard and this is some of the people in my church, this is the things that they would say. They would say things like, God's favor or blessing isn't on a certain person or a family because of the sin in their life right? Like there, there are things that we do that just have natural consequences, right? But there are also things that many of us didn't choose, things that have happened to us that are really difficult. And, and what I was taught in some of the ways that I was brought up is it's because, well, they sinned, you know, there's just this whatever in their life. I was taught that natural disasters happen in certain parts of the world and in certain communities because there was just more sin in that part of the community or that part of the world, right? Well, that doesn't make sense. We're all sinners right? This is the kind of weird stuff that I was taught. And I I didn't even really think about it. I heard things like, this person struggles with mental or emotional issues because they've opened the door in their life to the enemy. So now they can't be freed. And now there's no redemption or something weird like that for these people. Anybody else, like, are you following me? Anybody else like heard some of this weird stuff before? There's a few hands going up. And I didn't realize how badly that had kind of corrupted my faith and my understanding of the gospel. Because you know what? About five years ago when my little boy was diagnosed with autism, severe developmental disabilities, based on some of these weird things that I was taught, I just kept going back to every sin I could think of to try to make it right with God so my kid didn't have to go through this. This is the weird stuff that I believed. And I couldn't do it. I couldn't, do, I couldn't figure out what we had done so wrong that we wouldn't be able to save our kid. I, I, just, I just could not do it. And I remember just thinking like, God, you owe me. I've been a Christian my whole, listen, if God, if I would have known that this was gonna happen and life was gonna be as painful as, I would have had a little bit more fun sometimes, you know? <laughs> If I would have known, you know, God, you owe me. I, I moved my life to Seattle. I planted a church. I do all these things every Sunday and you owe me. And this is my reward. This is what I get. Are you kidding me, God? And there's that little Judaizer inside of me. That's not the gospel, Amritha. You, you didn't do anything wrong. This isn't, this isn't about that. And I remember looking at my mother and I just said, mom, what did we do? What, what do we have to do? What generational curses do I have to? I mean, I was just like, I will check off the boxes of Christian things that you can do to get my kid better. That's, I, I went into that works mentality. Do you see it? And I remember my mom looked at me and she just said, there's nothing that you guys did wrong. There's nothing that, this this stuff just kind of happens and it's horrible and it's hard and God's gonna give you everything you need to raise this little boy the best you can, but there's nothing that you did. And she freed me of that. And I'm so glad that she did. And I'm so glad that someone called me out of the corruption of my theology on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because had I spread that, that's when Paul says, you are taking away from freedom in Christ. I don't wanna do that. I'm so glad that the Holy Spirit of God confronted me in that issue in my life. The work of identifying the Judaizers in us is hard, and it can be painful. But listen, I think more painful is living with this mentality that, depending on what you do or don't do for God, will give you His love. That's more painful. And that's just not true.
0: Thank you so much for joining us at the Kalos Church Podcast. Hey, we would actually love to see you in person. And we meet at 945 and 1130 every Sunday in Bellevue. If you're interested, you can just go to www.kalos.church. All the information you need is there. And we hope to see you there. Thanks again for joining us at the Kalos Church Podcast.